concept for EPAR trade is basically, in my opinion, there's a big hole in the internet. So the internet started many years ago, but there's never been an online business community for racers on the World Wide Web. The need for EPAR trade is actually quite obvious. Basically, people in the business of auto racing need a place online to hang out and get their problems solved. It's extremely simple for a buyer or for a supplier to interact on the platform. The first thing you need to do is sign in, which is free. And the second thing is when you see a product that you're interested in, all you need to do is click on request more information. If it's a company, you click on request more information. And then from there, it is forwarded directly to the buyer or to the supplier. You can go to epartrade.com, you become part of a community of businesses in racing and it makes uh, sourcing products much easier than just on the internet or using Google. At epartrade there is no e-commerce, it's literally a connection just like at a trade show. So now, any time of the year, a buyer could reach out to a supplier through an email. More than that, it's a place to go just to keep current every day. So it's a good place to start your workday in your racing business or in your offices of your professional race team. And you know you're current when it comes to new technology, industry news, technical papers, technical videos, all that and more. We're not looking for a million hits per day. All we want is people who are really the volume buyers of racing products in the racing industry to be part of the little world of EPAR trade. We have racing businesses participating from around the world. So you get suppliers from around the world, you get buyers from around the world. EPAR trade really eliminates having to travel, closing down your shop. Now you have a place to showcase globally your racing product and technology. Good morning! I am Francisque Savignan, the founder and CEO of EPAR trade, the global online platform for the performance and racing industry. Welcome to Race Industry Now, the technical and business webinar series from EPAR Trade presented to you by ARP. This is episode 124, and we're going to be uh, talking to the people from uh, Peterson Fritz System. With me this morning is Judy Kim, the co-founder of EPAR Trade, and the one and only wonderful Jeff Hammond. How are you guys doing today? Thank you. I mean... Why do you say this? <laughs> Why does he say this to us? Huh? Because, because you're wonderful, Jeff. You know, I mean, who, who else can uh, say we have we have a host, that three-time NASCAR Cup champion, crew chief, and crew chief from the SRX? I mean, you're a legend. So we, we're very happy to have you with us, and uh, and you have hosted so many. So uh, we're, we're glad. Uh, to, I, actually, I, I think, I think you, the most important thing is you're being very kind to me, and I think it's funny that we're putting making Judy laugh at both of us. <laughs> you know, put a smile on her face first thing in the morning. So that's a good thing. You know, I'm, I'm excited about being here today and the and the product that uh, we're getting ready to discuss, you know, with the Peterson folks. Uh, I mean, the way I look at it, if you're going to if you're going to move fluid on a, on a high performance vehicle and some of the believe it or not, I think some of the, the other automotive as well as industrial products around the world. They look to Peterson for direction because they do a great job of, do, of doing that and, and managing all the different things that you need for it. So I'm really excited to get a chance to pick their brains. Absolutely. And Judy is, is uh, visiting uh, North Carolina. Yes. I'm in Jeff's neck of the woods, just visiting a whole bunch of engine builders, fabricators, race teams around 
the area here. In fact, I was at the races this past, past weekend where Jeff was not. And uh, so a lot of, uh, it was like a reunion after so many, so much time not being at a race, but so many people came up and gave their uh, condolences about John Kilroy and what a beautiful uh, tribute he wrote, his son wrote to John. So um, yeah, it was, it was touching. And we're very thankful to everybody that sent out any emails or texts to us. Um, we're, we're grateful. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you all very much. So before we start, we have a, a short little video from Peterson. So our producer will run that little uh, introduction video from Peterson, and then we'll bring Pat on, and then Jeff, you'll uh, you'll take over. So I'm getting a signal from Reed uh, Keneski, our producer. So we're going to be launching shortly this little video. Good morning, Pat. How are you today, sir? Good, sir. How are you? I'm doing really well. Great little video introduction to uh, what we're going to get an opportunity to kind of break down and discuss in detail. But uh, first and foremost, you know, being involved in the uh, business as long as I have been, I just can't say thank you enough for the quality. And, and I just, I love sitting there watching those guys right there. Y'all run some of the prettiest beads I've ever seen in a welding shop in my entire life. 
yeah. when it comes to y'all's product. I mean, just an outstanding job and the engineering that you that you guys have done throughout the years. Uh, I remember back in the day when we really got off into you know moving oil tanks around in NASCAR, and we were, and we couldn't we didn't have a source to go to, so we were trying to build them ourselves. And man, that was a, a disaster and a challenge and <laughs> leaking. I mean, just you know, what I'm saying all the all the doors we opened that we didn't need to open. And when you guys stepped in, I mean, it made life a lot a lot easier in that in that part of it. But more importantly, what you were able to do for the engine side of it too, man. You know, just my hat's off to you from one end to the other. I appreciate it. So where do you want to jump off into my friend? Cause uh, you, you know, it's just, there's so much about your company that I don't know where you want to start. Um, I mean, really the easiest place to probably start um on the oil pump side of things with the, the innovations that we've done there is with the, the twisted four lobe design. Um, there's other companies that'll do a lobe rotor design through the scavenge sections of the oil pump, but we're actually the only company that does it at the pressure section of the oil pump as well. Um, the benefits to that are we took a similar to what looks like a roots blower gear and turned it into an oil pump. So the volume is, is substantial. Um, as, as engines have progressed, um, oils have gotten better. Engines require more oil flow than they did 10 years ago. Um, dirt late model engines are, are, were a main focus and still are a main focus for us. Um, we do a lot of drag race, a lot of off-road trophy truck, um, diesel pull applications, high RPM truck pull applications, all all over the spectrum of motorsports. So we've kind of had to keep the, the design of the pumps moving forward to keep up with the requirements of these engines as they've gotten higher horsepower, longer duration. They expect parts to last longer. They expect parts to fatigue less. So all of that's kind of what's pushed our innovation as, as far as what's these rotors kind of have become. Um, that's that's the main main part of what's kind of differentiated our our products and our pumps from from others in the industry so well i think that's pretty pretty unique because uh, again everybody talks about you know what what how do you separate the man from the boys and when you pick that up i mean i think that's the, the that's the heart of it what is. makes that peterson product so uh Absolutely. extraordinary because everything you touched on and what that does also, I think, is at one time, you remember you always, we used to, when we first started with uh, dry sumps and stuff, is foaming the oil because the way everything worked. I mean, it started, you know, making it froth and everything like that. And you guys came along here and, and really kind of revolutionized everything in such a way that that problem is not there. And yep. I think that, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I know back in the good old days, you know, if you wanted... Um, to turn 8,000 RPM, you had to have 80 plus PSI of, of horse, I mean, of uh, oil pressure, because uh, you need to make sure you got everything uh, covered correctly. And now, that's I mean, the old where, rule, where's it at? The old rule of thumb for sure. But yeah. like I say, I mean, oils and, and oils now, now it's way so down. Yeah. Oils have come a long, long way since then. Now, now you really try to fit the 
the oil pressure basically more in a range. Um, I mean, if we have extreme applications like pro stock drag race and, and comp eliminator where those guys want 30 or 40 pounds of oil pressure at 10,000 RPM, but those engines are designed to survive and they're maintained to survive at that interval. Um, and then you get to like a dirt late model or a NASCAR application where you guys are at 8,500 RPM and really anywhere between 60 and 80, 60 and 90 is, is your, your motor is going to stay alive and be perfectly fine. Um, and that's, that's a, a big part of that is how far the oils have come in terms of, of longevity and, and what they're able to withstand, um, over the last five, 10 years, really. Well, I know that, you know, in looking at uh, through some of your product line, the one thing that kind of caught my mind, caught my eye was uh, your latest, you know, priming system, the, the ability not to have to pull the, pull everything, you know, apart. And, and it's just, it's like, now, why didn't I think of that? You yeah. know, I, I would have, I might made a little bit of coin. I could have possibly right. sold that to Peterson or something, but right. no, uh, I think that's such a, a great benefit to all of those who now think that's the number one thing you got to do in which everybody, that's kind of like, that's a number one or two rule in engines. You know, you never crank that sun gun up till you get the oil, some oil through the engine before you ever put any kind of power down. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's, you only have to forget to put that belt on once and it gets real expensive real fast. Um, the, the primer has been, a, a very good product for us. Um, I actually have one sitting right here. This is one of our large mounts. This is what we do on a lot of um, diesel pull applications, truck pull, dirt lay model applications. Um, this is the most common filter mount for that style of, of racing. Um, but it's with, with the cost of, of race engines nowadays, spending four or 500 bucks on an, on an item that's going to save you thousands of dollars in, in push rod tips and rocker arms and all of that. It's, it's, it pays for itself in, in no time and, and engine builders love them. When, when I look at something like that and knowing where you guys have come from, how do y'all go about innovating? I mean, where do y'all get you creative ideas? Because again, you know, you're, you, you, Peterson is the ultimate plumbing source when it comes to, to engines and, and cars and, you know, about anything. I mean, coming and going. But where do you guys, I mean, how do y'all go about uh, coming up with something like that? Because we've been, and you know, spending oil forever and a day and, and everybody had their own little gimmick about how you, you know, you pull the belt off and you do everything here. But right. now all of a sudden somebody says, okay, well, we need to we need to figure out a way to not have to do that you know correct i mean was there a certain moment that somebody called you and said look you know they left the belt loose and we got to come up with a way to fix this every time you get that phone call it's not a good one um but really a lot of the the influence to design the primer product came from our heavy involvement in the dirt late model the lucas oil dirt late model series um a lot of the big dirt late model engine builders were on us because they want those, the, the, the dirt late model bell housings, they're not easy to work on. You got to disassemble half the car to get the belt off. So it's not a, an easy process to, to do in, in the pits. So that kind of gave us the idea that there's an opportunity for a product 
where we can make some people's lives easier. We can extend the longevity of engines, cut down on wear and tear for, for $60,000, $70,000 race engines and, and do the engine builders a favor. We can sell some parts and we can take care of customers and give them a product that's going to suit their needs. You know, you mentioned Lucas Oil and you also, through our early conversation here, you've re referred, you know, to the oil and everything. And do you, do y'all have a working relationship with the major oil companies, you know, so you can, you know, put uh, their product in your pumps to try to see if it, if any of it is, has an effect on anything that you have internally, or is it, how do you, how do you go about, you know, doing that? Or is it just kind of like a, a everybody's of, stuff is so it, good? A lot of the, everybody's stuff is, is, has come so far and it's similar. We get a lot of feedback from engine builders. Um, when they're on the dyno getting beat on and then when they're going around the racetrack we get feedback from engine builders and that's that's the most valuable form of information you can get because that's real world real experience um that's that's what your product is living in so if if it's doing what it's supposed to in that environment it's going to do it everywhere else so well we've already got a couple uh, got a guy uh rich tomei i should say is already uh looking at and has a question for you sure. can you talk about the difference between a standard volume and a high volume and a high pressure oil pump and how do you choose from from those three so our standard pressure is a 1.2 inch rotor um that's i would say that's probably the most common rotor that's used in probably 70 or 80 percent of our applications um the 1.4 high volume rotor we typically will only put them in all aluminum dirt late model motors that need 20 gallons a minute of oil, diesel pull truck applications that are up over 30 gallons a minute of oil, um, or a, a super high horsepower, 3,500 horsepower screw blown drag car with, you know, four and a half thousands rod and main clearance, and they want 100 pounds of oil pressure going down the racetrack. Um, that's... The, the high volume rotor is, it moves fluid. Um, you, can, you can bury a motor in oil pressure if you undersize or oversize, or sorry, oversize the rotor. Um, and the 1.2 is a little more maneuverable as far as flow rate. Um, you, can, you can tailor it by bypass spring pressure for the top end you can do feed line size changes to taper oil pressure you can do in worst cases you can go to a remote relief valve that will bypass excess oil pressure um but a lot of it is application specific and and mm -hmm. when we set up the system for the customer we just have to get all the details if the engine's all aluminum if they're running valve spring sprayers wrist pin squirters if the engine has turbos on it those add two to four gallons a minute, depending on the restrictor size in the line. Um, every, every pump is configured to that particular application for that customer. There's not really a one size fits all. There is in some aspects where if an engine builder is building the same engine over and over and over, and he's got an engine package that this is, is what he sells. We have a pump or we can configure a pump that will fit that application for him every time he sells it. But when it comes to the drag race has a lot of variety in it. Um, 
road race cars have quite a bit of variety in them. Um, the off-road trophy trucks have a fair bit of variety in them. Um, so those, we kind of tailor the pump to the application more. Whereas the dirt and asphalt cars, we've got that so dialed in and figured out that we know what combination we have is going to work best for them just immediately. So there's not a whole lot of thought or, or ability or changes that go into to the pump in that aspect. So, I mean, you went right down the, the, uh, the alley that I was looking to go to because it's like, it sounds like I can pick the phone up, call you and say, I've got this. Okay. And I need to know what do you recommend, and you can blueprint it. And if they if they walk in there and they're, and they're creating a new monster, it's okay. You okay. know, you 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 can you can work hand in hand with them and develop that blueprint so that the next guy that calls, you may already have it done for for somebody else. You exactly. know what I'm saying? Exactly. Um, the the good example of that is is a lot of of higher end drag race motors are going to what's called a gear driven application where it's a pro-charged application that's gear driven off of the crankshafts now. We've designed and are designing an entire new way of driving the pump with a 3 8 male hex on the end of the shaft that keys into a gear drive just for that application. So that's a perfect example of what you're saying. It's, it's, a, it's a trend in engine building that we're filling and suiting a need to based off of, of what our customers need and what our engine builders need, so. So does that also include a recommendation on cooler, oil coolers and stuff like that, so that you, you know, don't restrict what you've tried to Correct. create, you know, and the numbers you that everybody determines is part of this system? Yeah, we have, we have a couple suppliers that we send a lot of business to for coolers that we've had very good success with. Um, CNR Racing and Fluidine, are the two that mm -hmm. we send a, a ton of business to in terms of, of their cores work well, they're efficient, they don't have a ton of pressure drop. Um, they're not gonna they're not gonna cost you a race car motor because of, of a restricted cooler or because they have some issue. They they make great parts. So we send we send customers their way all the time. Also when you're developing your tanks for this 4A system. Sure. Do y'all give the recommendation as far as, you know, when you get done, how much, I think what I'm trying to say is head clearance from where the oil level needs to be and amount of space you need to, to the top of the tank? Yeah, and that's, that's designed into every tank by, that's dictated by the spinning height. Um, Usually what dictates tank size more than anything is the chassis in most applications. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's got to fit in the car. So the, the capacity thing you have to, we basically tell people, give us the box size that you need us to fit this in. Um, give me measurements, you know, length, width, height, how much room we have to work with and let me see mm -hmm. how much capacity I can get into that area for you. Um, and it's, it's the same thing. We've done it for so long and we have so many designs of tanks that I know right off the top of my head, if you have a, a 430 cubic inch all aluminum dirt late model motor, you're going to get a four gallon filter tank. That's, that's the tank that's in 99% of those applications. Drag race, you're anywhere between two to three gallons. Off-road trophy trucks, 
three to five gallons, depending on duration and, and what the chassis dictates for size. Um, trophy trucks or um, like truck pull applications, diesel pull trucks, four to five gallons is pretty much the standard for those guys. And, and road race, it's really all over the place. Um, it depends on, on the length of the race and, and how much heat's gonna be built up in the oil and the chassis limitations are always a huge consideration for those guys because they have tons and tons and tons of, you know, coolers and plumbing and all of that in a, a small restricted area. So trying to find a space for a tank isn't always the easiest thing in those. Yeah. I know we, I think we already touched on this, but I don't want to ignore Bill's uh, question. He said like last week's webinar was about lubrication and lubricants with modal. Um, does oil selection affect an oil pump rec recommendation? And what we touched on a moment ago, it doesn't really matter because if it's good quality, your stuff handles it, right? Well, yeah, the, the quality of the oil, um, it's not really a concern any longer. The viscosity is. Um, okay. Depending, I mean, if you've got a, you've got a drag race motor that runs 020 weight, super lightweight oil, and mm -hmm. what his requirements are for oil pressure is going to influence the size of rotor that I put in that pump to meet that pressure requirement. Whereas if I'm in a, a diesel pull truck application and he's running 2050 or heavier, we're going to build pressure with that all day long, no problem. So I can vary my, my rotor recommendation based off of the weight of the oil. It does play a factor. So We, you keep talking about, you know, your rotor recommendation. Can, can you show us, you know, a little bit of what the, the, the differences would be or give us an explanation? Because you, you've referred to that a couple of times. I know it's the design, um, what you're talking about. So, but so we do, we do three different. You know, what, what are we talking about? We do three. All of our rotors are the same diameter. Um, they have okay. to fit in, in a pocket in the body um, with you know, a certain tolerance factored into rotor to wall and, and through the center and all of that tolerance. But where we dictate the volume is the length of the rotor. Um, the longer the rotor, the more volume they move. The shorter the rotor, the less volume they move. Um, we have three different options for rotors. We have a, a one inch that I do in a fair amount of import builds. Um, a lot of the Subarus, the Mitsubishis, um, some of the, the four cylinder Toyota motors, stuff like that, we'll do a one inch rotor in just because their oil consumption isn't, isn't massive. Um, I can meet all of their needs with, with a one inch rotor and not be pushing, you know, an excessive amount through the bypass, asking too much from the relief. Um, and then we have a 1.2, which we consider our standard. Um, so that's 1.2 inches long. And then we have a 1.4 inch, which is our high volume. And it's also our, our drag rotor in our scavenge sections. So that's our high vacuum rotor in our drag pumps. So the, the variety of, and the types of racing dictate as far as the, the stages and how everything kind of interacts. 100%. Now, I know at one time early on, uh, some engine builders, you know, they'd want an extra you know, scavenge. They want they wanted to try to play with some different stuff. Sure. Have y'all when y'all work with those engine builders, is that you ever try to talk these guys out of doing that because you know that you don't need it? I mean, based off of some of the you know, kind of say, can you help engine builders that maybe don't quite 
understanding maybe they're kind of stepping outside of their their knowledge about especially the pumps that's what we're here for um okay I'm never going to tell an engine builder not to do something. I mean, if, if they want to, if they want to, if they want to wheel and deal and try things on their engines, I'm all for mm -hmm. it. That, that's how you learn. And that's how you make your products better. Um, that's kind of where innovation comes from. I'm never going to tell anybody not to try something. Um, and that's, we've, we've built some crazy pumps off for people that, that want to try things. And, and some of them have worked awesome and some of them haven't, but you don't know unless you build them and you see if they work or not. So, but no, we're, we're anytime an, an engine builder has any questions oil related for us as to what they're doing and what they need. We're here five days a week, 40 hours a week for them. So. Mm -hmm. Well, along the same line, uh, I also have understood that you guys have teamed up with star machine for uh, a wet vac pump. So can you, Shed a little bit of light on that. So I'm actually, I was the guinea pig for that pump. Um, I had the, the first version on my own personal drag car for about a year and a half before we, we released it out to the public. So I put just under 200 laps on it in two years um, to make sure A, it met our requirements. B, my engine builder was happy with, with how the engine looked when we took it apart make sure that we didn't have any problems because if we wanted issues, we wanted it to happen on, on my stuff so that I can figure out what's going on and address the problem. Um, basically what the star machine pump is, is it's a, a newer version of a pump that we sold previously. It's our wet vac. We used to do a pump that had a pressure section and two vacuum sections integrated into the pump, but we ended up the, same thing. Engines have progressed so far and people's demands for vacuum have increased so much. Back in, in the late 90s, five to five to eight inches of vacuum was a lot. Um, and now with green packages and, and what engine builders are requiring from a vacuum standpoint, we needed to change the design and update it so that it kind of kept up with where engines are going. Um, basically what the, the physical pump is, is you have a, a single stage oil pump and then we have one of Star's Sportsman vacuum pumps that has a hex mm -hmm. that keys into the back of our pump and it's all ran by one shaft. Um, the vacuum pump has its own adjustable relief on it so you can control and regulate the amount of vacuum directly on the pump. Um, as far as the performance goes, it's, it's awesome. I've had, I've had that pump at sea level on my own car on my race pack and it pulled 20 inches of vacuum with the relief closed. So it'll, it gets busy. Hmm. Now on some of these products like this, that, that you have created, like the one you're referring to right now, sure. do you ever see, or have you ever had other <clears throat> types of, I guess you <clears throat> automotive people or industrial people look at your stuff to, to use on other products that are not just necessarily you know, high performance, what you specialize in. Sure. Yeah, we, we've done, I've done oil pumps for, um, for power plant applications where it's, it's just mm -hmm. a, a circulation pump out of a, a generator. Um, we've, our, our parts end up all over the place. We have ball valves that are in aerospace. We have ball valves that are being used okay. all over the place. Um, primers are being used in a lot of um, like over the road trucks. 
on on Kenworths and stuff that'll sit in a lot for a month before they go. So they'll go out and, and prime the whole oil system before they fire the truck. Um, same thing with with construction equipment, those big cats. Um, they're starting to get into some of the primers. Um, so yeah, our, our products are used outside of the racing industry. It's just the racing industry is kind of where our bread and butter is. So. Well, you you also you mentioned the uh, aerospace industry. So you you you're working with the with, I guess the FAA or whatever whoever has to look at a part and say that that's uh, applicable or whatever. We've done yeah we've done a little bit of work with with some of the the prototype stuff for. Um, it's actually foreign companies that are using them in, in I believe, military applications. Um, but they they use the valves for, uh, a, it's a cooling, I believe it's it's used in a, in a cooling system on, on a drone, essentially. Okay. So, like I say, once again, another unique application. It's a byproduct of High performance design, so sure, sure. Uh, that this makes it that much more intriguing. I, I think, sure. as far as that's concerned, you know, I, I was looking over your shoulder uh, at the picture hanging on the wall of that. Uh, I, I believe correctly, that's a drifting car. Correct. Over your shoulder. Yep. Um, through all of this stuff, as far as we talked about coolers, we talked about you know how everything you make, you know, is designed on flow and volume and all of how it interacts. Do you have the capability? Is, a, is there a gauge out there now in the industry where when you put your car together that you could check the flow rate? Because, and my, my point is, we know what your pump does. We know what through your mount, you know, should do and everything. And we going through the coolers. But a lot of times it's the lines between the engine and the tank that sometimes get overlooked. Mm -hmm. And people have a tendency to create a restriction either on the return or, you know, on the, on the primary feed line. Sure. How do you get around that without, you know, because sometimes you, this having pressure is not necessarily going to tell you you've got a problem before you jack the, well, you know, the RPM up on the thing. Correct. And, and a lot of that is the, the main issue that we usually see there is line sizing. Uh, lines being too small on the feed side of the, of the mm -hmm. pump will cause an issue. Um, Having incorrect filtration in, in incorrect locations causes big problems. Um, we have guys that'll put too restrictive of a filter in the feed line to a pump, which is a no-no. Um, we have a, a, a scavenge filter, essentially. It's a 1500 micron screen, so it's just under an eighth of an inch um, that's designed to go into those lines. And it's just meant to keep big debris from getting into the pump that would cause it to lock up. But you don't want to run any sort of a fine micron filter in the supply line. If you, if you're worried about keeping the tank clean and the pump clean, do it on the return side. That, that way, all of the oil coming out of the pump going to the tank is filtered and clean. The tank's always clean. The pressure section of the pump's always clean and you're achieving the same thing, but you're not causing any ill effects or restrictions in the system when you do it that way. So. We've been focusing a lot on the oil and the primer, the stuff there. We want to talk a little bit about what are you doing with people as far as even like the fuel systems and stuff like that that we find on today's high performance stuff you know what sure. what are you working in that in that area and um you know now that everybody's 
they've gotten away from the, I call it the mechanical pump that used to bolt directly to the block. Sure. More people are going to, you know, electric, they're going to still uh, being driven out of the, you know, off the engine. You know what I'm saying? They got a lot of different varieties and sure. Sure. they've got pumps for that too. Yeah, we've got filters for them. Um, the, we do, we still do a fair bit of, of work with NASCAR, with, with Penske and Haas and a couple other of the teams on, on fuel filters for those guys. Um, we do a, a, a 10 micron cellulose element that's, that's a primarily a, a fuel injection fuel filter. It's fine with race gas, pump gas, E85, all of that's perfectly fine with it. Um, and then we also still obviously do a whole lot with, with hot rod guys that are built street rods, you know, race cars, obviously still. Um, and it's, it's the same thing. You can, you can call us, we can spec out a filter for you, tell you what micron filter you need, um, give you all the dimensions of the product to make sure that it's going to fit. It's going to be able to work for you. Um, but we've got a, a variety of elements. We've got a 10 micron, a 45, a 60 and a hundred in our 600 series fuel filters and that's the primary four elements that we pick from so as always pat you got it covered man just real Bye. quick because it brings it it brings up my this question for you how long have you been in this position and you know working all this kind of stuff because again it's just this is just sometimes uh it's so remarkable the stuff y'all guys keep coming up with I've been with the company for going on 12 years now. Um, 12 years. Yep. So I've, I've done, like I say, I've, I've seen and been around pretty much everything. And I've been lucky enough to have in, incredibly intelligent, smart people that trained me when I got hired to, to make sure that I understood the ins and outs of everything and, and that I wasn't afraid to ask a question and learn what I needed to know. So I've been, been fortunate in that aspect for sure. Well, you know, and, and again, I'm just, I'm curious because did you come in as like a, a, a general laborer or were you a machinist or were you, you have an engine builder background? I mean, this. I've, I've raced since I was 16. Um, I've been a go. drag racer since I was 16. So I've been involved in it. I came into the company mm -hmm. when I was in sales. Um, we were a small family owned company. So you had to wear a lot of hats. Sales did assembly um you're running around the building doing all kinds of jobs so you get a real you got a real solid grasp of what parts were where how stuff was made how everything <coughs> kind of functioned together um and, and you were working with the people that were making the stuff so they were mm -hmm. were always willing and helpful to explain to you what was going on and then when parts were done and, and why they were made this way and that kind of thing so that was super helpful well for all our of our attendees today i just want to remind you we're just uh, we're just a little bit past halfway as far as our webinar is concerned we'd like to thank arp for being a part of this program but i also want to remind you you had a couple of folks you know ask questions early on hey if you got a question speak up you got a comment speak up because uh that's what uh, pat's here for and again you know there's no question that's a dumb question. It's only a question that's dumb, but you didn't ask it. So uh, please, you know, don't uh, miss this opportunity to, uh, you know, uh, excuse what I'm going to say here, Pat, but let's try to stump Pat. 
<laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Uh, so I don't think we can, but it'll be interesting to see. Now, see, we asked that question, and all of a sudden, we've already got a couple of, of, of uh, takers. And Bill wants to know, can you talk about some of your filters, and are they new innovations coming up in that, in that area, I guess, or any place? In filters, not so much. Um, just because we already do a bus stainless reusable element. We've done that for 15 years, 20 years. Um, that that hasn't changed. We've we've been in that market and in that area, and our products work so well that we haven't done a whole lot of changes to them. Just because they work so well, <laughs> we don't want to mm -hmm. we don't want to make them worse. If it ain't if it ain't broke, don't fix. If it. Broke, don't fix exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, but as far as as filters go, we do three different series of filters. We have a 70, 700 series which is a lot of your small carburetor filters. Um, they'll screw into the bowls of carburetors and have a little 60 micron element in them um, to keep the carb bowls clean, keep needle and seats from getting stuck and, and any sort of debris from getting into carbs. Um, we do a 600 series filter. That's a two inch body by about six inches long, if I remember correctly. Um, that's primarily used as fuel filters in, in street rods, race cars. Um, depending on the amount of fuel that you're trying to flow. We also have the 400 series that we can do oil or fuel with either, depending on the element that's installed in the filter. Um, typically an oil filter in my 400 series, depending on rod and main clearances and what the engine dictates, most of them are a 60 micron. That's a two and a half thousandths particle that's allowed to pass that's usually plenty tight to get through anything in the motor without hurting bearings. Um, we have a, a 75 micron and a hundred micron for that one as well, as well as a 10 micron. Um, we have a 10 micron and a 45 that are both primarily used for fuel in the 400 series, but they're for applications mm -hmm. that need to flow fuel. Um, a lot of alcohol, methanol applications go to the 400 series just because the, the pressure drop between my my 600 series to my 400 series is pretty substantial. The element of the 400 series filter is almost the size of a 600 series filter. So there's a lot more surface area and there's a lot less pressure drop on the 400 series element versus kind of the 600 series. So. Sounds good. Uh, we have a guy that, I'm not, I'm, I'm going to butcher his name, so I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Uh, but he's asking a question about, you know, how do you avoid uh, basically not picking the right type of oil tank design for like an off-road car uh, and the products he has worked it with and everything like that, that they have a, uh, issues with frequent pressure drops. And, you know. Yeah, I've, I've been through this you got you got a smile on your face here. Like, you know what's going many on. Times. So okay. we do any off-road application, whether it be like a, a stadium truck or a trophy truck or anything like that, we have a special type of baffling that gets installed into, we can put it in any oil tank, it, it gets installed into the tank and it's, it's specially designed to 
keep the oil from being able to come up the center tube and get away from the pickup in the bottom of the tank. It's a special type of baffling that we install in the center tube that keeps the oil kind of compressed on top of the pickup when the truck's going through, you know, whoops or undulations or jumps or, or something like that. So. It's kind of like, like we've been talking, just got to pick that phone up and call Peterson and get the, uh, get to fix the, to what you got an issue with. Absolutely. Um, Steve would like to know what are the advantages of a dry sump boiling system? That's the million dollar question. Um, really the, the biggest advantage is oil control. Um, in, instead of storing the oil in a pan that's in hurricane-like forces with a crankshaft spinning around at, at 8,000 RPM, trying to whip the oil into a froth, um, the oil is contained in a, in a much more calm environment in, inside the tank. The, in, a, in a dry sump system, there's, there's little to no oil in the pan, um, very little. Eventually, the pan will get cleared and the pump will actually start pulling a vacuum inside of the engine when there's no oil left. Um, and that's, that's where the performance benefit comes from, is, is being able to run a, a, a lower depth pan, less windage in the, in the crankcase, pulling a vacuum on the motor, being able to control, basically not allowing oil to hide the engine, being able to scavenge it front, middle, and rear in the pan, being able to scavenge a lifter valley, being able to scavenge out of cylinder heads, um, just making sure that all of the oil is, is getting back to the tank and that the system is flowing, you know, a consistent amount of oil all the time. Um, it's also a temperature thing. The, the, the tank allows a little bit of a cooling aspect to happen. There's also, you know, we've got a tank sitting here, but you guys can probably see there's, two different kind of baffles in here. There's a, an umbrella up here. So the oil comes in, swirls around the tank, it hits this umbrella up here, goes through that umbrella and de-aerates. So that's what separates all of the, the air bubbles out of the oil. And that's what gets you solid, clean oil down at your pickup point. This is a center umbrella. So this is, is mainly there for oil control. This is the stop oil from coming up the sides with G-force um, and to keep the oil kind of packed down around the bottom of the oil tank. So this is, this is kind of, this is kind of the heart of the dry sump system because this is what keeps the oil clean and in obviously de-aerated, non-frothy, usable condition, I guess is the best way to explain it. <clears throat> well, and again, I made mention. I've been around long enough. We went. We were going through, you know, wet sumps to dry sump systems, and I know the things that part of that education was real quick, being able to put oil where it needs oil, so it doesn't starve itself inadvertently. Right. And the other thing, like you say, the the temperature, oil temperature itself, being able to keep it better controlled. Right. And if you're racing in NASCAR or any place where downforce or aero can help you out. You run more tape on the front. So, you know, you, it's all of those little benefits. And I think the other thing is, it's like, you know, we learned really quick is how much better your engine looks when you take it apart. Absolutely. I mean, every, everything there about it, if you lube it, lube it, 
lubricate it correctly, um, your bearings are going to look better. Everything's going to look better. Cylinder walls, the whole nine yards, it all works. It's just, like I say, it's a big system. And when you do it right, especially uh, with your product, because again, you guys have addressed so many different things that have always been a byproduct of not being done correctly in an oil tank to begin with. And it's the same way with your, with your pumps. I want to keep continuing this conversation on. Um, Mr. Garcia wanted to know about increase of oil pressure and a pump from 60 pounds and a standard you know, pressure to 80 pounds, and it's supposedly in a NASCAR truck, would it be beneficial in terms of temperature and performance? Increasing pressure be beneficial? It depends. When you run increased pressure, you're also cycling oil through the system at a faster rate. So that can can negatively influence your temperature, which can also negatively influence your pressure because as oil gets hotter, it's going to build less pressure. Um, mm -hmm. More oil pressure is not always the solution. It's it's the right amount of oil pressure for the application is, is what you're after. Um, uh, we have guys call all the time that'll ask us, you know, what a, if I'm running 90 pounds, what if I drop the 70, is it going to gain horsepower? It's a negligible amount, um, and, and it's a variable. <coughs> Excuse me. It's, it's, it's a moving target because the amount of horsepower it takes to spin that pump is a moving target. That depends on, on, on how full every scavenge section is of oil, on, on how hard the, the pressure section is pushing the relief. Um, all of that load dictates the amount of horsepower it takes to drive that pump. Um, whereas when you, like our, our test stand is built with a 10 horsepower motor. That's what we test all of our pumps with. So mm -hmm. I can pretty much safely say all of our pumps take less than 10 horsepower to run. The only, <coughs> excuse me, the only pump that can stall our test stand is a six stage pump when we have every single section slammed full of oil, which is a rare occurrence. Um, mm -hmm. But the amount of, of horsepower that it takes to run a pump, like I say, it's, it's, a moving, it's a moving target depending on what's going on in the oil pan and what's going on in the system at that particular moment. So. Speaking, speaking of that, Michael wanted to know, can you improve the air release properties in the oil with your system, I guess is what he's asking. Most of that's done in the tank. Most of that's done in the baffling that I spoke to. Um, that's that's the, the, the primary device that's used to de-aerate um, and, and separate air from oil and get solid oil back down to your pickup in the tank. There are other pump suppliers that use a de-aeration device um they function kind of like a blood centrifuge they it spins circular on the back of the pump and separates it that way we've never dove into that aspect of it just because our tanks do essentially the same job so here's one that's a little bit of a, of a strange uh question that i'm gonna try to ask it because uh, it kind of puzzles me a little bit too is there a future for the turbo within the incorporation of hybrid or battery powered systems along with along the race engine side? 
I'm not sure how to answer that one. Um, I've been sitting here reading it two or three times, and I, I'm 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 a little bit the same way. And I figured, well, maybe you know something I don't know. <laughs> maybe I'm one not trying to be uh, ending up in race cars. We'll have to figure something out for that. But thankfully, that's that's yeah. not a thing so far. No, I I, I, I agree with you. Um, like I said, we got we got about really five six minutes here left, and I, I know I want to ask you about this. Uh, Peterson products are made in the USA. Sir. How important is that, is that to you and, and everybody that works at Peterson? It's incredibly important. And what kind of pride comes out of that? Because I know you guys sell products internationally yeah. around the world. Yeah. Yeah. Our parts go Australia, New Zealand, Europe, I mean, South Africa, all over the place. But we're, we're proud to be a, a USA supplier, um, USA manufactured and all done in the United States. It's a big point of pride for us. So. We had, uh, thank you for that. And, and at the same time, you know, we had somebody ask questions about innovations. Um, we, we saw one of them, which was the primer. Where, what's the next, what's the next challenge for Pat and everybody as far as the engineering part of Peterson right now? Where, where you guys got your focus or what's, what's coming up, you know, we're going to maybe learn about during the off season or if, it, if there is an off season. Um, we've got a few products that we're working on, um, a couple new drive options for us, um, some updates to, to previous parts to make them better, nicer, more functional, easier for the customer to work on. Um, and that's where I think we'll probably be headed is, is refining our product line a little bit further. Um, just making updates to parts to make them more functional, easier to work on, easier to use, and, and more helpful to the customer and the end user, I think is where a lot of our focus is going to be. So, Okay. When it comes to, you, you mentioned early on in, our, in the program about how you were working on keeping product and extending the life of product. Is there, is there, a recommendation. I mean, can I'm pretty sure I'm gonna get an. Answer. I know the answer, but I'm gonna ask it anyway. Is is there a, a golden rule when it comes to pumps and oil tanks, as far as how long can you expect to run them? I mean, I mean, is this something where once you get one of these oil tanks, you can run it till you know either you sell the car or crash the car or do something to it to where you know it's not one of those kind of things you got to take it out and throw it away every year. No, oil tanks last forever. Um, we make replacement parts for oil tanks. If you ding a bottom up on one, we'll build you a new bottom. Um, we do that all the time. We, we service our products. We don't expect people to always have to buy new. Um, oil tanks last forever. They'll, they'll last the, the duration and lifetime of the vehicle usually. Oil pumps usually will tell people when, when the engine's out for a freshen up and you're, you're looking over that, just send us the pump and let us go through it and make sure that it's all nice and fresh for, for when the, the motor's brand new, that you've got the pump all fresh and redone, ready to go as well. Well, I, I hate to say this, but I'm starting to run out of, out of questions for you because man, you've, you've answered all of them so efficiently and everything. And, and as I said in the very beginning, um, it's just amazing uh, where your company, you know, got involved and how you, you have just kind of like, 
taken over, took charge of that, as I say, the plumbing of, of a high-performance vehicle from, from stem to stern. Sure. Uh, I don't know of any part um, that you guys don't address and can, can't help with. I mean, that's the thing I love about it. It's, it's like one-stop shopping, and you got people that are working with you. Uh, you mentioned, you know, uh, the radiator companies and the oil cooler companies, you know, the ones you recommend, they're great partners. Sure. And we all know that if you, if you live in, in the high performance world, you know, you're, you're passing out great information. So you're, you're there for your, your customers and everything. So it's just sure. really excited to have you a part of the portrait uh, family. And at the same time, I see uh, Judy's back on and Francis is chomping at the bit, I think, to, uh, to get in here and help us out. So I really appreciate your time. It's been a pleasure to, to uh, pick your brain. And if I've missed something, uh, please share it with us before we, before we end our little webinar. Only thing that I have is uh, we just came out with a brand new 2022-23 catalog. Um, you can get them off of our website through a dealer. Um, we'll have a PDF available on our website to download as well if you choose that route. This will have all of our updated parts, pieces, part numbers, everything in it. So this will make your life easier. If you're calling us, it can reference a part number. We can look it up immediately for you, tell you cost, lead time, whether it's going to work for your application, everything. So that catalog is a, a great asset for, for customers, engine builders, suppliers, everybody. So, Well, like I said, Pat, it's I been a pleasure. In there. And I think right there. What's that? So I just want to remind everybody, we have catalogs on this uh, platform. So we'll have that on the Peterson profile. Perfect. Okay. Absolutely. And we pushed actually Pat's product back on the home. So uh, again, thank you very much for uh, being with us today. The webinar has been recorded. It will be posted later on uh, on the ePortrait platform, as well as our, on our YouTube channel. We will be back next Wednesday. We're going to be talking suspension with a competition suspension, especially with a focus on short track racing. So, uh, you know, please uh, join us again next week. The host will be Brad Gilly. So again, Pat, everyone uh, at uh, uh, Peterson, thank you very much uh, for being with us today. I know you were a little bit under the radar, so thank <laughs> Pat, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, to make the effort to uh, do a great presentation with us. Thank you very much, and uh, let's go racing. Thank you. Registering on ePartrade is easy. Fill out your name, email, phone number, and create a secure password. Next, select your business type. Choose supplier if you're looking to display products or services and connect with buyers. Choose racing business if you're looking to find new parts and connect with suppliers. Choose race team if you own or are a member of a professional racing team. Begin typing your company name. We most likely already have your company in our database, which you can select from the drop-down. Then, enter your job title. Choose claim company if you'll be editing your company profile. Other members of your company can choose join company if they'd like to use ePartrade as well. You can view and agree to our terms of use here. If you'd like to receive our weekly newsletter, choose Accept. Click Register Now and your registration will be submitted for approval. You'll need to confirm your email once it goes through. To keep our platform industry only, you'll be approved shortly after. If we require additional proof of business, we'll reach out.
welcome to ePartrade. 